0: Father in heaven, today we're thankful that we can, again, consider the sanctuary. Your way, O Lord, is in the sanctuary, and uh, we want to consider your work and your way. And we thank you, and we come in Christ's name. Amen. I looked up every text concerning generation in the Bible as I prepared for this particular series, and there are generations that God, uh, God loves every generation, but he has been longing to have a generation of youth for Jesus. And it really hasn't worked out. The first generation, uh, 100% of them went astray. And the second generation, 50% of them were homicidal. And some generations, they just completely lost the whole generation. But God is looking for generations. He's found faithful people in each generation. And uh, I want to look back now at the first generation um, as we look at the sanctuary. Now, we just saw in our last time together that the uh, the sanctuary is the main focus of the Bible. We went through that and gave an overview. It's the main focus. The Pentateuch, the Feast, the Prophets, the Psalms, Acts, Hebrews, the Gospel of John. Oh, I forgot to mention the Gospel of John. Jesus' entire ministry is built around his coming to the feasts in the Gospel of John. All built around the sanctuary. Revelation all focuses on the sanctuary like we saw in our overview in the first time. So if you were not here, <laughs> too bad for you. But you can get the notes by downloading from afco.org, www.afco.org, or get the tapes, or the DVDs or CDs or whatever they have. The sanctuary then was focused on by William Miller and all the Advent pioneers. We looked at that. Alan White received 11 visions concerning the sanctuary. We looked a little bit at some of those. And Adventist, the Adventist Church's sanctuary doctrine is its unique contribution to theology, and uh, we didn't get into that, but we will start getting into that. I had five additional points in the last lecture that I did not cover. So they will go in my last lecture. But just to remind you, and Andrews said that the sanctuary is the central doctrine of the Advent system. Uh, Uriah Smith said the same thing. We just covered these things. So um, we've seen then that the sanctuary doctrine is important in this generation and especially for the Adventist church. But what we want to look at now is, was it important in the first generation? The sanctuary and its importance in the first generation. Here's a question for you. What is the leading cause of death in America? Right, I asked this many times, and everyone says heart disease, cancer, stroke. It's actually sin. The leading cause of death in America is sin. And that is, of course, spiritual heart disease. That then... Leads to death. Most people say heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes. And, of course, those are wrong. Uh, they are a result of the leading cause of death, which is <laughs> sin. So, it's kind of bad for those of you just here to start out on the wrong foot. But hopefully you regain your, your composure. <laughs> the original plan. The original plan, generation number one. Who created man? And... Uh, what did he call himself? What did God call himself? Us. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Right? So who was involved in creation? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was... And the Word was not a God, like our Jehovah's Witness friends would say, but was God. Right? Right? Now, was He there in the beginning to create? Yes, in the beginning. So Jesus was involved in creation. Who else was involved in creation? Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit moved on the... And it says, in the beginning, God. Who's that? God the Father. Right? So God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were involved in creation. Isn't that wonderful? And when it says, let us... You know? Make God, this is... This is the wonderful truth of the tri-unity of God. Right? Um, it's the same word, by the way, when it says in the Shema, Hero, Israel, our God, our God is one. Deuteronomy 6:6. 6, 6:4 6, 6. 6, through 6, right? The Shema. It's the same word as used in Genesis 2:24. Where in Genesis 2:24, what's it say? And the two shall become one flesh. It's the same word. God. Same word. So when someone gets married, they become one. And God is one. He's a relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So they were involved in creation. Didn't mean to do something on the Trinity, but since we were there, might as well. Now let's look next. Who was man patterned after? Yeah. Let us make man in our what? So God's original plan for generation one was people should be godly, just like God. That, how do you think that sounds? Makes sure? oh, it? Am, am I on to something here? Now look at Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-four, and then also look at Colossians three, ten. I have it up on the screen, but you can look up it as well. Let's look at these interesting texts. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-four. Read this with me up on the screen. We're created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he created us. His whole idea in creating us was to be in the likeness of God, truly righteous and truly holy. So when it says, let us make man in our image, this was to be holy too. This was the plan for generation one. Now look at collision chapter three, verse 10. One of my friends. Collisions chapter 3, verse 10. Colossians, sorry. But it's good for people who are in encountering life's collisions. Colossians helps understand the collisions and get out of them, all right? Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Knowledge according to or after the image of him who created him. So in other words, he wanted us to have knowledge of God, The knowledge of the Father, if you will, in the image of Him. So to have the images, to have the mind of Christ, the mind of God, the mind of the Spirit. This was God's plan for the first generation. Creation. How many think this is a pretty good plan? In other words, we were created to be like Jesus. So the first GYC theme of be was not the. It was he, way back, before the tree. Okay, so you have this, this whole theme, we're created to be, to be like Jesus. That is amazing. That is amazing. So why was man created? We talked about how he was created. Why was man created? Huh? This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. So they were created in his image so they could give glory to his image, to his likeness, to his creation, his created works. What kind of relationship did God desire to have with man? Intimate, what's that mean? close, united, together to know each other. Isaiah 41, verse 8, Exodus 33, 11. We'll look at those texts. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. He wanted us to be in friendship with him. The Lord spoke to Moses, face to shall I behold him, right? Face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I would John 17, 24, to add another text, that they be with me where I am. So, this whole idea, this was God's desire in the first generation to be in sanctuary. But not just any part of the sanctuary, to be in the most holy place, if you will. That's the whole big picture. What frustrated God's desire for humanity? Let's read it together. Now, the serpent was... Read it with me, more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest ye die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. He was already like God. They were created in the image of God. So when the woman said, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. She was the first drug pusher. She was the first one to push Macintosh apples, if you will. She was the first one. Now, this is not funny at all, really. But she was the first one. She says, look, you take this and you'll get high. As high as God. So she's the first drug pusher, right? Well, what words did the Bible use to describe what Adam and Eve did? 1 Timothy 2.14. Read it with me. The woman being deceived fell into... So what Adam and Eve did was do what? Transgress. Trans means what? I transported myself. Gress means what? Aggressively across the line God drew. So I transferred myself aggressively. I was given a Bible Sunday once, and uh, there was this uh, dog that hated me. And he started barking at me every day. So I was going by this dog, and the dog was barking at me. And you know, the first couple days I didn't mind the dog barking at me. But finally I got sick of the dog barking at me. So I barked back at the dog. I started to bark at the dog. And this was not good. Because I looked up as I was barking at the dog, and I saw in the window the people who I was going to give them a Bible study. And here I was barking at their dog. Um... Well, to make a long story, very short, because I could tell you the whole story, which is very interesting. But I came one day, and that same dog now hated me, because I barked at him every time. It was. And I got there one day, and the fence that kept the dog away from me, somehow the dog had dug under the fence, and he had just completed his hole. And when he saw me coming, he ran as fast as he could to go underneath the hole and to devour me in three quick bites, without even a gulp of water. That was his whole idea. I could see it in his eyes, and he's coming along and he comes to dive under the fence he was transgressing he was transporting himself aggressively across the line that had been drawn and put for him in place he got stuck under the fence praise God (laughs) and when he was under the fence I found him in the midst of transgression (laughs) half of him was on this side half was on that side now I had a decision to make would I help the dog would I lift the fence up or not I lifted the fence up and I lived because I'm here today. And the dog went back. And after that, oh, by the way, when I lifted up the fence, I looked up and they were looking out the window again. And when I went back from then on, you know what the dog did? He never growled at me again. He wagged his stub. He was kind of a stub, you know. He waved his stub and he would just say, hi, how are you? And we were good friends. I think God wants to do that with us. Right? Even though we're aggressively against him. Anyway, so Adam and Eve transgressed is what it says. Romans 5.12. What's it say here? Through one man, sin entered the world. So the Bible uses the words of transgression and sin to describe what Adam and Eve did. What effect did their decisions have? Genesis three seven and eight, they hid themselves for they felt naked. Verse eleven and twelve, they begin to blame each other. The woman you gave me, the tree you put in the garden. Their life was now filled with pain. So they had, they were naked. They had blame, they had pain, and their life was filled with shame. They hid from God. They said, they were ashamed. Then chapter 2, verse 17, And God warned of the penalty for what they had done was what? Death. So the decision led them to have nakedness, blame, pain, shame, death. Now this is all key to understanding the sanctuary, because the sanctuary deals with all these things. How does the Bible describe the effect of sin? Your sins have... Separated, which means to divide asunder, as a covenant word. What God has joined together, we hear at the wedding, let no man divide asunder. Ellen White, when talking about Jesus on the cross, it said that there was the sundering of the Trinitarian powers. Wow. Sundering. And your sins have hidden, literally means by covering. His face from you so that he will not hear. So if we cover, he won't hear. If he covers, he will care. So, the effects of sin. What was God's initial response to Adam and Eve now that they had sinned? Someone read this. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Let's look at it together. We should open our Bibles a few times. I can put it all on the screen. But let's just open our Bibles a few times here. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. This is the first question God asks in the Bible. What's it say? Now they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said... What? Where are you? How many think that's just a beautiful text? Beautiful text. So they heard the sound of God walking. God called and he said where? So what did God do? What was his initial response? He seek them out. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Old Testament and the New Testament both. Came to seek and save the lost. What did God promise would be the response to eating the forbidden fruit? The Wages of sin is death. You know what? If you study the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments define what sin is. And in the Old Testament, there's pretty much one example for every single commandment where the person that did that died instantly. Man picking up sticks on the Sabbath dies instantly you take every single one of them in one place, there's a signal judgment where God killed someone or whether their sin killed them. And he knows the beginning from the end. And they died instantly. Most, and so there's like one of those, right? Most of the time, though, he gives it the the uh, iniquity had to be filled up, this or that. But there are times when he just steps in. There's an interesting book out on that by a rabbi recently written that went through every single one of those and showed the difference between those death decrees and others. But the way the New Testament summarizes it is the wages of sin is death, instant death. Now, don't get into this idea, well, dying you will die. Some people say that when God says, in the day you eat of it, you will die, they say there's a marginal reference, and it really means they wouldn't die that day, but dying they would die. I want that idea to die instantly if I could kill it. Because that's what gets us into trouble. We say, oh, it's not that bad. Die and I'll die. But there's Geritol. There's Barley Green. I'll come back. I'll put some old bran on my steak. Right? I'll go to the the chip program after I head through the pearly arches on the way to the Golden Gate. So, what, pro- what God promised was instant death. So why then did God ask them where they were? Why didn't he just uh, x them out? Well, in this particular case, it wasn't a signal judgment time. Why weren't they instantly destroyed? Look at this, look at this quotation. The instant man accepted the temptations of Satan. And did the very things God had said he should not do. Christ, the Son of God, stood between the living and the dead and said, Let the punishment fall on me. I will stand in man's place. He will have another chance. The very instant. So in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, is how the Bible says it, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Right then, he says... I know the wages of sin is death, and I will die for them. How many of you are thankful for that? How many times has he said that about you today? Why was not the death penalty at once enforced in this case? Because a ransom was found. Praise God. God's only begotten son volunteered to take the sin of man upon himself and to make atonement for the fallen race. That's what the sanctuary teaches. How he did that, and how he makes atonement. Boy, I tell you what, this is good news. Good news. How did God teach this? Now, Genesis three twenty-one. Let's read that. Genesis three twenty-one. Genesis chapter three, and verse twenty-one. So right there at the very beginning, how many can see what he wanted for generation one, but what happened, and now what does God do? This is sanctuary number one in the Bible, actually. Anyway, I don't want to get myself confused by talking too much or confuse you by the same. Verse 21. Also for Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So the very first thing he does is calls, but then he makes tunics of skin and clothed them. What do you have to do to make tunics of skin? something had to be killed. Whether or not Adam and Eve did that, the first sacrifice, you know, in the sanctuary, the person would kill the animal themselves because they caused that. Whatever the process was, there it happened. And it says, the Lord God, Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital is Yahweh. He's the judge. He's the discriminating judge. He's the judge. He's the, it's really always tied many times in the Bible, that word Lord, with righteousness. The right thing to do. God is Elohim. That means the mighty covenant maker. In other words, that's the God of mercy. The God of justice says you must die. But the God of mercy steps in and says, look, I will die for them. You and I will be separated. There will be a sundering of our relationship so we can allow them to come back in relationship. So the Lord made tunics of the Lord God. God. In other words, the judge who could have killed them became the God who wanted to save them. And he made tunics of skin to cover them. Praise the Lord. Blessed is he whose transgression is, or his sin is covered. Then it moves on to transgression being blotted out, which we'll get into. The wages of sin is death. So the mighty covenant maker comes and interposes. Now how would he stay in relationship with them then? By being the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Or bear away, if you will, the sin of the world. So right there you have the Lamb. How many of you remember that that's right, the very, one of the foundation sacrifices in the sanctuary? You have it right there. So right at the beginning you have this picture. How powerful was Christ's decision? Look at this. This is powerful. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. As soon as Adam sinned, the Son of God presented himself as surety. In other words, as a guarantee. Surety is, I surely will do this for the human race. With just as much power to avert the doom pronounced upon the guilty as when he died on the cross of Calvary. Now, you see, many times we'll say, oh, the cross is so important that it is. But the cross was back there. And the cross will be the eternal theme in heaven. See, we have this reductionary view of the cross. There was some kind of moment in time. When really, (laughs) it's been there from the very first sanctuary, the sanctuary in Eden. What went wrong then was made instantly right in Christ. What did God do next? Going through our text. He drove the man out. Drove out. That word, garish, which means divorce. Did you realize he was the first one involved in divorce? It was actually a legal separation. Because they legally had broken the law. God hates divorce. He never wanted that. He doesn't want any divorce. If you've gone through divorce, either as a child, seeing your parents do that, he's never wanted that, ever. But this legal separation came. Between he and man. What do you think God's purpose was in driving them out? Hello? What? It says right there. All have sinned and fallen short of the. Did you know that text is good news? Because if you were in the midst of the glory of God when you sinned, what would happen to you? So God says, all right, I'm going to let you fall short of my glory, because if you were in my glory, it would be another story. Zap. Am I right or am I wrong here? So he must have veiled himself when he went looking for them. That's why I believe that was Christ probably coming looking for them. But it's interesting. He wanted to quarantine them. You know, when you quarantine somebody, does that mean you hate them? You, You don't hate them. You see, God's got two problems. Well, maybe more as I look around. <laughs> Me and you. How can I save these two children without perpetuating the dreadful disease? So that's a problem. How can I save them without perpetuating the disease? How can I destroy the disease without destroying them to whom it clings? And the only answer he had was this legal separation. If you will. Where can an answer be found for this profound problem? Right there in Genesis. Let's look. Well, this is not Genesis. (laughs) But it's going to get back to... What's this text say? Thy way, O God, Psalm 77, verse 13, of solving the sin problem, literally, is in the sanctuary. So, we're going to look and we're going to find a sanctuary right here in Genesis chapter 1. What else would God do? Genesis 3, 24. He drove out the man and he placed... That word placed is key. He placed cherubim. That's two. Beam is two. It's the plural ending. Like Elohim, cherubim. (laughs) Elohim is a plural ending. And cherubim is a plural ending. If it was this one, it would be a cherub. But since there's more than one, it's cherubim. That's two. At least. At the east of the Garden of Eden. Ooh, this is Interesting. Cherubim at the east of the Garden Now the word place literally means to settle down, abide, or to tabernacle. So right there, here's the first sanctuary of the Bible. The first time the word sanctuary is used in Genesis 3.29, he said, I will place cherubim there. All night, all day, angels hovering around. The sanctuary was filled with Pictures of angels. Angels were there at the entrance uh, in the embroidery. Angels were on the top of the embroidery. Angels were on the veil in between the holy and the most holy place. Angels all over the place. There's angels all over here. We prayed for them to come, right? They're around here. Boy, I thought Mark Finley's voice was going bad. So, um, the word placed, okay, sanctuary, to abide, to tabernacle. <laughs> please erase that from the tape now I've, now I've alienated Doug Besser and Mark Finley who's next? what about the general conference President? <laughs> alright so cherubim at the east when you look at that sanctuary model that's being put together which way did they come in? from the east and they moved to the west as far as the east is from the west so my sins, when I confess, given to God and put to rest. And it's not really an accurate song. It's uh, almost as far as the east is from the west because he covers them and then he blots them out, right? So as far as the east is from the west. So here, right there, it's at the east and it's the angels and it's their place. It's a sanctuary. Oh, man. Weren't you happy to find the sanctuary? Exodus 25 8. What's it say? Let them. Make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them, and right there, there, as soon as there was sin, there was a savior, as soon as there was sin, there was a sanctuary. You see, we reduced the plan of salvation. <clears throat> they started wearing crosses. you know in the sixth century, they never wore a cross or had a cross anywhere until the sixth century. But in the sixth century, crosses became more invoked. Now you walk down the street and people will wear a cross, and they think that, that tells you that they 're a Christian. They really should wear a sanctuary. Don't look for this new line, but they said a whole big box right here, you know? <laughs> um, I, I would be more forgiving. You know, they come to my church and they get a big sanctuary on. Hi. And they should have the dates on along the, the side, right? 31, 1844. <laughs> Only the sanctuary doctrine can give a complete, comprehensive view of the plan of salvation, not just the cross alone, in terms of a symbol. And you see it all right there. Why was this so important? Why were the angels being placed at the east of Eden? Where did the wise men come from? Where's Jesus going to come from? As lightning shines from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the sun then be. Why does it say north to south? If you go north, what ultimately do you start doing? If you go east, it never stops. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Whoa! Man, I'm glad that, that it's never going to stop with God. All right. Just, Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. Where do they come from? The angels that come. Well, I'll look it up. 16.12 16.12 did I put this down in there? Revelation chapter 16 verse 12 you got the three frogs and the polywogs and everything there right? the three angels messages are replaced with the three frogs That's <laughs> oh, very bad you know uh, I used to believe the three angels messages but now I'm into the three frogs uh, it's just not headed the right direction chapter chapter 16 Verse twelve. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. You know there's two rivers in the Bible, there's the river of Zion and there's the river Euphrates. One dries up and becomes mud and crud. And the other one is a life giving stream. Ezekiel forty seven, the water flowed from the sanctuary. The water that flows from the devil's sanctuary, which is pictured in Revelation 16. Revelation 16 is the legal basis for the shutting down of the devil's sanctuary. I should show you that sometime. And this is it shutting down. And notice when it shuts down what happens. Euphrates is drying up. That the way of the kings from the east. East to west. So what are these angels that come? Are they not ministers or uh, are they not spirits? Ministering to those who are heirs of salvation, Hebrews 1.14 says. So whenever you say angels, it's they're, they're ministering to those who are heirs of salvation. And God interposed, Jesus interposed, he says, I will be surety for them. So whenever that happens, the angels show up. Good news. Good news. You're missing out, brother. There's a shut door theology. (laughs) As far as the east is from the west, moving in. What was in the angel's hand? Hey, brother, it's just as good on that side. He looked in that door, then that door. Genesis 3.24. So he has in his hand a flaming sword. (laughs) A flaming sword. Man, you know, someone was talking to me the other day. In fact, they're here today, and they were saying they studied this out. When I thought of this flaming sword text, I looked at all the swords in the Bible. You know? How many of you like knives? (laughs) See me after. No. (laughs) So so the flaming sword moving this way and that way, I thought of Hebrews 4.12 immediately. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior, there was the Word of God, which makes... Um, playing the what? To keep the way of the tree of life. That's not, What's that word keep mean? Jesus, protect. protect. It's actually the word shamar, which means to guard. It was used in Genesis chapter 2 when they were keeping the garden. Keep the garden, protect it. You no, know, no, pull all the weeds out. He'll keep the way to the tree of life. Look at that. Look, the sanctuary is the way. Thy way, O oh God, is in the what? So he's saying, keep the way. I'm keeping the sanctuary option open so you can come back into the sanctuary with me. The mighty covenant maker. Who does the Bible call the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So right back then, there's Jesus. What did every aspect of the sanctuary point to when we studied it? Jesus. Can you see this embryonic sanctuary right there? I, Jesus, and the way, the truth, and the life. It's not even embryonic. It's it's all there, isn't it? It's bionic. There you go. Thank you. We could work well together. So the word was to become flesh and to dwell, literally tabernacle among us. And that happened when? Way back there in Genesis. How many of you are getting this picture that the sanctuary is not just for the final generation or for the middle generation, but it was for the first generation. Sanctuary truth was for every generation. I used to work in, uh, I used to be an ER nurse and a paramedic, and go out on calls and take care of people that have been very injured. And even now, as we're talking, I think Alistair Wong has been, one of our colleagues has been struck down and, I don't know how he's doing, but I heard tell that he was losing the ability to move his arms, and they were concerned that he may even be put on a ventilator, and he might even be on a ventilator now. So he is instantly, you know, there's a in just an instant. He was just in his room, and now today he's on a ventilator. How many of you are thankful for that ventilator? How many of you think if that ventilator wasn't there, we would not have any hope for Alistair? You see what I mean? In other words, when God drove people out, when I intubated people, when I took care of people in the field, what was I doing? Keeping way open. I remember once I was taking care of these patients. There were three of them, the fourth had died, that went into a nuclear reactor near our hospital. And they walked in, and somehow they had a piece of metal in the back of one of their... their Their pants pocket. They had to sign in with a wax pencil that they had taken everything out. I don't know why they didn't have a metal detector. I don't know what happened. Now, you know, we've got metal detectors everywhere. (laughs) Except the church. People end up in church with all kinds of metal on these days. But everywhere else, you can... Okay, so anyway, that's part of the sanctuary message as well. But anyway, so... uh, (laughs) So... Homeland security, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, here's what happens. They go in, and they go right into that nuclear reactor, and they walked in, and that, the last person that walked in had, I don't know if it was a, some graphite in a pencil that was in his pocket or, or whatever, but it caused a huge arc to come off that reactor. That was a, it was an electric. You know, they're making electric power to feed all southwestern Michigan. And that huge arc comes out, and it hits them all with a blaze. And the, the guy that had the metal is instantly killed. He's blown up. The other three were burned 80%, 90% of their bodies. 70, and I was on the burn unit. That was my, uh, my task. And uh, so they rushed him, of course, to our, our hospital. Oh, I'm almost out of time here. And they came in, and when someone has a burn that's that bad, what happens when you get a blister? When you, you burn something, you get a blister. So all your fluid goes out. Well, you do that to the whole body, all your fluid goes out, and you're one big blister. And so all the fluid goes out. And there's no fluid inside, so you'll just die from no fluid inside. You die from dehydration. So we had to put big IVs in. And then we had to count the bags. One bag, two bags, twelve bags later, you know, we're putting all this money or I don't know what's twelve, but we put these all back in. They would have popped that way too. But so we put all these bags in of 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 what they call ringer's lactate, and so we put it in there so that they have they they they, they, they don't die. So, but you had to count the bags. If you didn't count the bags because about a few hours later, if if something turned around, you had to take all that fluid off. Right? so anyway that's going on and i'm taking care of these patients and then they couldn't breathe because they got so filled with pus or not pus but uh fluid thank you they they were so swollen up that they couldn't breathe so you had to do what's called fasciotomies where you take a little knife and you cut you right along here and you cut all that skin so they can breathe so i am doing this you know i'm putting this fasciotomy side Trying to save, save them so they can breathe because they, they would just literally, their lungs couldn't expand. And when they're there, there were some people in the emergency room that always said, Don't talk to people about their situation, you know. Always make it seem good because it'll be positive thinking and the power of positive thinking. But 90% burns, 70% burns. Now, I'm not going to do it. They probably might, might die. I'm going to talk to them about whether or not they know Jesus. I'm going to bring in their relatives. So I said to them, I said to them, I said, Look, they don't have any pain. I mean, that's long since gone. They burned off their pain receptors. You know, the martyrs, when they die in the fire and stuff, it's bad at first. But not, not later. It's, it's okay. And they didn't have any pain. Well, I'm not recommending it, but you know what I'm saying. So, they, so, they, so he, he, you get the point. So here I am with these people that are ready to, that I think die. And I began, I said to them, I said, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ? Is everything right with your son and with your daughter and with your wife? And I brought in their family members. And here they are talking to them, and they make everything right. I help load them up in the helicopter, fly with them up to the to the burn center in Bronson, right. And those relatives, you know, they don't know if ever, they'll ever see them again. They're intubated; everything is taken care of by everybody else, because we're desperately trying to keep the way open. You know, the good news is. Amazingly, all three of those people made it. And you know what? That's what God is wanting with his sanctuary. He says, man, you're just not making it. And the problem is, you don't even know you're not making it. Sometimes people get so sick that they make it worse. How many of you have ever taken care of somebody, they get even worse before they get better? And they have to give them drugs. They call curare agents. They give them, at least they used to. I don't they really call them now. We give these drugs to people, in the ICU, and they couldn't even move. And the reason they didn't want them to move is because they'd mess everything up. Either the, the pressure would go up in their head, or something else would go wrong, and they would just be totally... And later on, you know, take them out, and they'd go, Man, I got so cold, no one brought me a blanket. I always was very aware. As a nurse, I said, Look, I've got to go in there and think about what they'd be thinking about. I'd feel their legs. Oh, this feels cold. You probably want a blanket. Oh, this or that. Or, you see what I mean? That's what God does for us. That's what the sanctuary is about. He does all that for us because he wants to keep away. And he started doing that all the way back at the very beginning. So what gift was given back then? Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This was the great gift. The Hebrew word for enmity literally means hatred. And it comes from the root word which means a hostile or an enemy to. How many of you are thankful God gave the gift of enmity? If God would not have put to a point to fix to put enmity between Eve and the devil, man would have had absolutely no chance. Because even though you can do all these things for someone, they have to make a decision. And he allows us to have this decision-making ability. The gift of enmity made it possible for mankind to appreciate and to choose the good. His, that is Adam's nature, became so weakened through transgression that it was impossible for him in his own strength to resist the power of evil. He was made captive by Satan and would have remained so forever had not God specially interposed. How many glad he interposed? So what he gave then was the gift of what? Enmity. Did Adam and Eve's children rightly utilize the gift of enmity? No. You got Abel. By faith, Abel, he used it correctly. He obtained a witness that was righteousness. But what about Cain? Did Cain use it? Instead of bringing an animal sacrifice to God, Cain brought what in the first sanctuary system? Vegetables. And you know what vegetables were for? This was a peace offering, a praise offering, a meat offering. It was like coming to God and saying, praise God, everything's okay. I'm coming to church. I'm just going to praise. No repentance, no confession. But I want the drums. And I want the fruits and vegetables. So what he did in terms of sanctuary thing was he brought the what? He just came with this attitude of gratitude without having repented or obeying. And to obey is better than even... Sacrifice, and that was a grain sacrifice he was bringing. it was a praise sacrifice without a sin sacrifice. so in the first sanctuary, Abel was accepted because he did the right thing, and so he could actually he could have brought a sacrifice uh, he could have come next and brought his little his praise offering, but cain didn't, and so he said i 'm not going to follow the sanctuary protocol. Abel brought a sacrifice, God accepted. Then Cain became angry. Sometimes in church, people get angry when you do things right concerning the sanctuary message. Oh, I want to say I'm sorry to you. Oh, don't worry about that. We're here about grace, not about guilt. We want to praise, no penitence. One church I went to recently says, we don't do the foot washing anymore. You know, I said, Well, then you're eating and drinking damnation to yourself. That's what the Bible says. (laughs) Doesn't say it exactly that way, but that's what it says. That's what it says in Corinthians, right? Now, note the significance that the New Testament puts on the story of Cain and Abel. You think the story of Cain and Abel is all oh, well? He's Abel, he's Abel. <laughs> we'll think about it. No, it's a little more significant than that. First John chapter three, verse twelve: "Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore did he slew him? Because his own works were evil." And then it goes on and says, "A new commandment I give to you." It's talking about the new covenant, new commandment, and it says it's based on Abel's experience, not Cain's. In other words, all the way back then was the new covenant available. (laughs) Then, in Jude 11, woe unto them that have gone after the way of Cain and run speedily after the heir of Balaam. So, this whole idea of Cain and Abel is a huge story in the first sanctuary passage. Well, what can we learn from God's talk with Cain? Look at this. Look at this. This is very important. Genesis 4, 6, and 7. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Read these words slowly with me. Why are you angry? Hello? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should... Ooh, the sanctuary doctrine says, wait a minute. What's it saying here? Did God plan... Say, have, did it have any conditions? Yes, if you do well. Is there any assurance in this verse? Yes, I'll give you assurance. Is this assurance in any way linked to performance? Yes? Some people, they say no. But it is. Is Is it linked to performance? Cain performed in a wrong way, yes or no? True or false, according to this verse, it was impossible for Cain to have victory over evil thoughts. Ooh. how many of you hear people say that's not possible to have victory over those oh look you can have evil thoughts all the time Martin Luther said look you'd be tempted all the time it's like the birds flying over your head temptations are like that but don't let them build a nest in your hair so what God said was Its desire is for you but don't allow sin to rule over you can you have victory over sin in the first sanctuary service What was the message of the first sanctuary service? I am the way, the truth, the life. I am everything. Everything was there. But I want you to have my victory. Is that powerful? So in the first generation after sin, did God have faithful people? He did. Noah was faithful. Joseph was faithful. Caleb and Joshua. Jonas was faithful. David was faithful. And here's my last slide. Then we'll have our drawing. And in the last generation, will God have faithful people? Some few in every generation from Adam resisted every artifice and stood forth as noble representatives of what it was to be in the power of man to do and to be. Christ working with human efforts, helping man overcome the power of Satan. Enoch and Elijah are the correct representatives of what the race might have been through faith in Jesus Christ if they chose to be. How many can see that powerful paradigm in the first sanctuary? The gift of enmity, everything else. So the sanctuary in the first generation is important to those of us who live in one of the final generations. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www. GYCWeb.org. You can also find Great Witnessing Media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.